There's a word in our popular culture that is increasingly taking on the nature of a buzzword. We see it all over, and it is the word inclusive. Inclusive. It's a word related to the word include. It is a word that is uh, the antonym of exclude or exclusive. Now, does anyone know the, the etymology of the word exclude or include? X is out, in is, well, in. Clued comes from the Latin word that means to shut. So to exclude is to shut out, and to include is to shut in, is to welcome in. And, of course, in the same lines, to be inclusive is to be welcoming into the fold. To be exclusive is to be shutting the door to something else. Now, typically today, we have the idea that being inclusive is very good and very loving and compassionate. To be exclusive is the opposite, to be somewhat narrow and, indeed, ultimately, perhaps, to be directly harmful. What I want to suggest to us tonight is that we need to understand the power of exclusion if we are going to fulfill our calling in our Christian life. And I take that this evening from this letter that Paul wrote to his son in the faith, Timothy. Now, Timothy was his, was his protege, we might say. Timothy was one who we learned from 1 Timothy was, uh, had been placed with significant responsibility by Paul to oversee uh, perhaps certain churches in the area of Asia Minor, perhaps around Ephesus. And so Paul is giving instruction to his son in the faith about how to be a Christian leader. And this book, along with 2 Timothy and with Titus, called the Pastoral Epistles of Paul, have been taken for great encouragement and profit by those who have called, like Timothy, to be ministers. I myself have been very encouraged and challenged from these books in my own calling. And if we come here to 1 Timothy chapter 4... We see some of these very practical directives that Paul is giving Timothy. He says in verse 6 of this chapter, If thou put the brethren in remembrance of these things, thou shalt be a good minister. That was his calling, a good servant of Jesus Christ, nourished up in the words of faith and of good doctrine, whereunto thou hast attained. Verse 7 tells him to refuse profane and old wives' fables and exercise yourself rather to godliness. He says uh, down in verse 11, these things command and teach. In verse 12, he said to let no man despise your youth, but instead be an example. People will naturally despise people who are young, but do not let them despise you for your character. Instead, be an example that is, that is irreproachable, that cannot be despised in the way you live your life. He says in verse 13, give attendance to reading. Focus on the public reading of God's word. That's an important part of any church and any church gathering. He says to give attendance as well to exhortation, to the exhorting in the preaching and the speaking of God's word, to doctrine, to standing firm in the doctrine that Timothy had received. He says in verse 14, Neglect not the gift that is in thee which was given thee by prophecy with the laying on of the hands of the presbytery. 
He's referring back to a time when Paul, or Timothy, excuse me, had, had hands laid on him, a gift that appears to have been conferred to him uh, by prophecy. And I want us to notice here in verse 15, really our text this evening is simply verse 15 of 1 Timothy 4. Paul says, meditate upon these things, give thyself wholly to them. Give thyself wholly to them, that thy profiting may appear to all. Give thyself wholly to them. This phrase is a very interesting one. It is one that in the literal, if we were just literally to translate it to English, it would be this, be in these things. The ideas of immersion, immerse yourself in these things. Immerse yourself in your calling. Immerse yourself in my commands and my directives for your calling. And our King James translators, trying to bring about the sense of what is said here, translated this to give yourself wholly to them, to be utterly absorbed in them. And he says that thy profiting, that word profiting has the idea of progress. It has the idea of advancing. That your progress, that your advancing, that your forward movement may appear unto all. So again, put yourself in Paul's situation. An elder man giving counsel to his young protege. He says, Timothy, I'm counseling you, I'm charging you in your calling as a minister, in your calling as a Christian leader. You need to immerse yourself, to give yourself entirely, wholly to your calling, to the areas in which God has called you. Why? So that your progress may be evident to everyone. It will be obvious that is what Paul is exhorting Timothy to profit, to progress, requires immersion, absorption, a kind of, where, dare I say, exclusivity, to be exclusive, to exclude. And I want to take this same idea, this same principle, which I take not just to be a principle that applies to ministers, to Christian leaders, like it does indeed apply to Timothy, but to be a principle that applies to every single one of us in multiple areas of our life. And I'm going to title this message tonight, The Necessity of Exclusion. The Necessity of Exclusion. And my premise is very simple. If you want to live out and progress to advance in whatever calling God has given you, you have to learn how to exclude some things to give yourself wholly to these things. You must learn to exclude certain things so that you can give yourself wholly to these things, the things to which God has called you. And so we, as we often do, we'll break this up into three ideas tonight. First of all, a common truth. Secondly, a common trouble. And thirdly, a common task. A common truth, a common trouble, and a common task. First of all, the common truth. The common truth is simply this. 
progress in any area requires immersion, requires absorption. In the words of the Apostle Paul, it requires giving yourself wholly to. That is the nature of progress and advancement in virtually any area of life. Take temporal pursuits. You have heard of, I'm sure, something called immersion education. Immersion education is the idea that you are placed in a school. Perhaps you have a primary language, the natural language of the students, and you have another language. And the children who are there may be immersed completely in that language, in the culture of that language. And the idea is that by being immersed in that, they will develop new faculties, new language, new culture, um, and perhaps a new ability to pick up language later. I remember when I took German in college, I was required to take three semesters of language. And I remember our professor of German still telling us in this classroom, we speak German. And we are going to try to avoid speaking English unless absolutely necessary. And as we progressed onward in German, that became more and more. More and more of the words that were spoken in the class were in German. And ultimately, if you want to be fluent in a language, you probably need to go live in the country that speaks that language for some time. Why? Because to speak a language, to learn a language, is not to constantly be doing a, a process of translation in your mind. It is to begin to think in that language. It means that as you are looking at concepts and ideas, you are not thinking any longer in English. You are thinking in German or French or Spanish or whatever the language might be. You are to be immersed. The same is true of athletics. We look at people who are masters in their, in their various sports and we wonder how did you get so good at that? It is not merely in the realm of natural gifts. Many people are extremely naturally gifted. It is because over and over they have given themselves to a kind of repetitious task that it becomes second nature to them. When they are out on the field, they are no longer thinking. They are just acting. And when they are acting and reacting, their body is doing movements that they have done thousands upon thousands of times until it has become second nature. They have immersed themselves in a particular task, in a particular skill, and they progress. The same is true of music. I remember of the great musicians are people who have spent such countless hours until their, their instrument becomes literally just an extension of their personality. Some people come and look at the pipe organ and they say, how, how on earth could, could someone be doing all, pro, uh, pr processing all these different things, playing with their feet? Well, it's no different really than being at the piano. If you play at the piano long enough soon, you don't need to look down at your hands. You just know where they are. You've done it so many times. And the same is true. Whatever instrument, if you're playing with your feet, eventually after doing it thousands upon thousands upon thousands of times, you don't need to look down. You just know where your feet are. It just is a matter of continual immersion and absorption the music truly becomes, in a sense, effortless. And again, you could just simply apply this to any area. Do you want to progress in something? Immerse yourself in it. Absorb yourself in it. Give yourself to it, and you will progress. The same is true relationally. 
Isn't it interesting that when we have a marriage ceremony at this church, there is a constant line that we repeat, the, the, the husband and the wife repeat to each other. They say, forsaking all others, cleave, keep you only to her or to him as long as you both shall live. What is the idea? It is of exclusion. The marriage relationship is entirely exclusive. And in that one flesh union, if you want to have a good marriage, the more you will learn to be exclusive. In fact, Scripture teaches this. There's a passage in Proverbs 5 that if I read publicly tonight, probably some of you would get deeply uncomfortable and you would blush a little bit. But the very idea of it is that your wife is to ravish you at all times. You are to be ravished always with her love. What is the idea? The idea is that the object of the attention of a husband is to be exclusive. Husbands, if your eyes and your attention are always being uh, distracted to attractive women around you or on a screen in front of you, you will not have the relationship that God intends for you. Wives, and again, we're just being stereotypical here, not to say that there can't be different struggles in, in various different people, but stereotypically, wives, if you're focusing on the skills or the, or the good things of other men other than your husband, if you are noticing them and thinking about them and commenting on them, you are likely to be less invested or exclusive in the, in the things that God has blessed your husband with. And when we focus on each other in a marriage, when we exclusively look to each other, we are far more likely to be contented. We are far, far more likely to be invested in the marriage that God gives for us. It is something exclusive about it. And if the same is true of all temporal pursuits, if it's the same of relational pursuits and how we invest, the same is true in spiritual pursuits. The more we are immersed in the things of God, the more we progress. As scripture says in Galatians chapter 5, walk in the spirit. The idea is not just to be in the spirit. The idea is to walk and walking as signifies consistent progress in steps. It is to be moving forward in a kind of continual and habitual march forward in our spiritual life. Charles Hodge said, those distinguished for their godliness have been those accustomed to withdraw the mind from the influence of the world and to bring it under the influence of the word of God. Exclude so that you can include. This is a subject of immersion. And again, this is exactly the, the point that, that Paul is making to Timothy. Give thyself wholly to these things that I have been instructing you in. To these things, the focus of your calling, so that, that thy profiting, your progress, your advancement may appear to all. So first of all, very simple common truth would apply to anything. If we want to, prog to progress, we need to give ourselves, to immerse ourselves, to absorb ourselves. The second thing is a common trouble. And the common trouble is distraction. Distraction. The common trouble in our progress in virtually everything is because we have a very hard time as human beings being exclusive. We have a very hard time not looking around and pursuing other things. You've heard of the phrase, someone who is a jack of all trades and a, a master of none. 
A jack of all trades is someone who has focused on being pro, at, least, at least adequate at a wide variety of things. But the very idea of that phrase is someone who has so focused on being adequate on many things is now a master, is now truly proficient in no thing. He is simply not excelling in anything. A lack of focus creates a lack of progress. Now, a picture came to mind for me as I was thinking about uh, my own house. My house is a 1957 house. It has a furnace that doesn't always do a great job at heating the entirety of our house. We have an underground, a below-grade basement that is very cold in the winter and very cold in the summer. We have an upstairs, we have a, we have a tuck under garage and that doesn't always maintain great, um, great uh, heat efficiency either. And that's right under Tabitha in my bedroom. So you can just feel almost the cold coming up from that, from that bedroom. And the heat register barely, re it seems like it's not putting out any heat at all. And so at various times, I've tried to figure out how can I get more heat to the places in the house that I want it to go. And so I'll go downstairs and, and I'll go and, and like the guest bathroom is, is just absolutely toasty warm. Well, no one uses the guest bathroom. Why do I want the guest bathroom toasty warm? And so I'll take the register and I'll say, nope, you're closed. And I'm just hoping, I hope this lets me get a little more heat upstairs. Or the garage has, whatever it is. And I thought about this. Because how often is that like our lives? We have a limited amount of heat, if you will, a limited amount of energy and sometimes we look around our lives and the little side room is getting all the energy. And we're saying, why? Why? When the bedroom isn't warm, when the kitchen isn't warm, when the workroom isn't warm. And the question of our lives is the same thing spiritually. What rooms of your house are getting the heat? What areas other then spiritually profitable areas are toasty warm in the winter when you'd have to admit you're pretty chilly when it comes to the rooms that really matter. Our progress is slowed by the distraction, by the dissipation of our efforts, of the energy that God has given us. And oftentimes at least if I'm speaking about myself, sometimes that dissipation is just entirely aimless. Listen to what A.W. Tozer said. He said, I have been forced to admit that one of the things hardest for me to understand and try to reconcile is the complete aimlessness of so many Christians' lives. The complete aimlessness. He goes on to say, probably the worst part of this situation among us is the fact that so many of our Christian brothers and sisters have unusual gifts and talents and capacities, yet they have not exercised this discipline of girding up the mind and spiritual potential in order to make the necessary progress in the Christian life. I would say that's a pretty good diagnosis, at least if I'm looking honestly in my own life. Our progress is slowed when our energies and focus are dissipated to many things. And if we would look very carefully at our lives today, we would see that we have a greater capacity or a greater perhaps opportunity for distraction than any other people in all of human history. 
we have more opportunity to pursue other things other than the main things more than people ever have. We are surrounded truly by an infinite number of distractions. And we could simply identify it as being related to this thing. To this thing. The amount of information that we have at our fingertips in a phone, on the internet, through television or a variety of different entertainments, is truly astonishing. And friends, it is affecting us. I read an article, uh, I saw an article on National Geographic that was just from a purely secular perspective, talking about the effect of distraction from our phones on our ability to function and progress as human beings. And this is what it says. In one study, this man, a psychologist at the University of Texas at Austin, and his colleagues gave 800 participants two mentally challenging tasks. They gave them uh, the challenging task. One was solving a math problem while memorizing a random sequence of letters and selecting an image out of a few options to complete a visual pattern. Here's what they did. Some per, per participants, they took their phones and they left them in the other room, literally just completely isolated. Others, they put them at the table in front of them. And others, the third set, were allowed to keep them in their pockets. And they studied these three groups' ability to complete these two tasks, these two mentally challenging tasks. Do you know what they found? The one that was the best, the one that performed best on them was the one whose phones were in the other room entirely. The ones that were the worst were the ones that were, had the phone in front. They did not consult it. They did not look at their phone. They did not unlock it. It was just literally sitting in front of them. And they found that even the people who had their phone in their pockets did not take it out, did not look at it. Just the fact that the phone was in their pocket made them perform worse on their two tasks than those whose phones were in the other room. Our phones, our capacity for distraction is changing us. In another study that was referenced here, a, a doctoral student asked more than 300 participants to have a meal at a restaurant with friends or family. Some of them were instructed to keep their phones on the table and others to put their phones away. Those who had their phones in front of them on the table reported feeling more distracted during the conversation and enjoyed the meal less than the others. In fact, it was said, this person says, when people had access to their phones, they were also more bored, which is not what we were expecting. The very presence in the room of the phone that they could see made them more bored. Now, what does this say about us as human beings and the, the challenges that we face? The challenges we face is that if progress in our spiritual life requires immersion, requires absorption, requires giving ourselves wholly to certain things, the device that you are carrying around, most likely all of you nearly every day, may hinder you from that. It tells me that the laptop or iPad or television or whatever other source we have of entertainment or of distraction and dissipation in our lives may well be exactly that which is hindering you or hindering me from more progress in my spiritual life. It means that I am going to need to learn the necessity of exclusion if I'm going to want the blessing of progress 
The common truth is that to, prog to progress, we must exclude. A common trouble is that distraction is so easy to get in in all of our lives, in our, uh, in our daily lives. Let me say one other thing. One of the reasons that exclusion is so difficult for us today is that we are against a planned operation. What I mean by that is simply this. Your entertainments, our entertainments in our society today are scientifically designed to distract you. Why do we find them so distracting? Because they're made that way. Because someone who is trying to get you to watch a movie or to watch a sporting event or to pursue this path or to, or, or to um, pursue that marketing activity, go shopping online for that, these things are tested. These things are trying to exploit your human weakness. Which means that unless your guard is up, unless your defenses are up, unless you have prepared yourself to be exclusive in various areas of life, you're going to be distracted because your weaknesses are being exploited by those who are seeking to use them for their benefit. This is a common trouble and temptation for all of us. And that's why, lastly, I want to look at this evening a common task. A common task. The common task is simply this. You must give yourself wholly to some things and exclude other things. The common task is that you must give yourself wholly to some things and you must exclude other things. And the other things that you may be called to exclude in your Christian life are not necessarily intrinsically bad things. Not necessarily intrinsically sinful things. They may be Neutral things, we might say. They may be things that aren't in and of themselves moral or immoral. And yet we must exclude. Listen to Paul. Paul was a man who was so utterly focused on progress that he knew exactly what exclusion was. Listen to this, these words from Philippians 3. Brethren, I count not myself to have apprehended. To, the idea of apprehending is gaining something. I haven't fully put my hands on what I want to get. But this one thing I do, I haven't gotten there yet. I haven't laid my hand on it. But this one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind. What does that sound like? Exclusion. Forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forth unto those things which are before, I press toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. He knew that to progress in his Christian life, to reach the calling that God had for him, he had to exclude. There's something very interesting about the way even Jesus encouraged this for his disciples. There's a passage in Luke 10 that I'd never really focused on before. But there's a meaning. I'm sure there's a meaning to it. Luke 10, when Jesus is sending out those disciples to advance the gospel... He's sending them out and he's telling them, carry neither purse nor script nor shoes. Do you know what else he says in Luke 10 and verse 4? Have you ever thought about this? He says, and salute no man, by the way. Salute no man, by the way. Here's what he's literally saying. I don't want you to carry a, a purse or a wallet. I don't want to carry a, a script. You have nothing to read. You don't, have, you don't have a second pair of shoes. And you are not to greet anyone. You're to keep walking right on. 
Jesus' disciples are rude? No, here's really what I think Jesus is saying. You've got a job to do, and I don't want you to be distracted. You're not a hail fellow well met when you're going on this task, he's telling them. You're not everyone's best friend. You have a specific job to do, and I don't want you to get waylaid at all. Do you remember when, uh, um, um, do you remember when uh, Elisha was healing uh, that, that child that had died of the, the Shunammite woman? And the woman comes and lays her hands on his feet. And, and Gehazi says, what's going on? He says, God hasn't told me. And, and she says, did you mock me when you said I'd have a son? And here's what Elisha says. I want you to take my staff and I want you to go right to her house. And if anyone says hi to you, you don't say hi back. You just go. What's he saying? You got a job to do. Don't stop. Don't slow down. And I think Jesus here is saying something that we can profit from as well. There are certain circumstances in your life where God has called you to something and you better not look to the left or to the right. You better not stop for a chit chat in this metaphorical sense, in this figurative sense. You are called to have your eyes look straight forward like a horse with blinders. Another example of this biblically is Abraham's servant. You remember in Genesis chapter 24, Abraham's servant has a job to do, find a wife for Isaac. And he goes on to try to find who this is going to be. And you remember the story, Rebecca coming and offering to give drink to the camels. And so um, he says, hey, can I go talk to your family? And sure enough, they go back. In Genesis 24, this detail is there. And there was set meat before him to eat, but he said, I will not eat until I have told mine errand. He said, there's no distraction. I've been sent on a purpose and I'm excluding all other purposes. You remember at toward the end of that story, they, state, they tell him, well, let, let, let Rebecca just be with us for a few more days, at least 10, and then we'll go, and then we'll send her with you. And what's the response of this servant? Hinder me not, seeing the Lord hath prospered my way. Send me away that I may go to my master. I'm on a job. I'm sorry. I can't wait another 10 days. Think about that sense of purpose, of calling. He knew that he had to be exclusive in order to carry out what God wanted him to do. And my simple point is this. Every single one of you, as well as me, are called to certain things in life. And if you are going to progress in what God has called you to do, not to be one of those aimless people wandering through life like A.W. Tozer was talking about. If you want to progress in what God has called you to do, you better learn how to be exclusive. You better learn how to give yourself wholly to certain things and exclude other things. This is what Spurgeon said. Am I a minister? Let me be a minister holy and not spend my energies upon secondary concerns. What have I to do with party politics or vain amusements? Am I a Christian? Let me make my service of Jesus my occupation, my life work, my one pursuit. We must be in and in with Jesus and then out and out for Jesus or else we shall make neither progress nor profit and neither the church nor the world will feel that forceful influence which the Lord would have us exercise. I love that. Let me be a minister holy and not spend my energies upon secondary concerns. Now, what does this mean practically for us? As I've really been challenged by that as I've reflected on this own passage and my need to give myself wholly to certain things. Let me suggest just a couple things that we need, I think, to apply to our own lives. The first is this. You need to identify what your these things are. Timothy's, 
It was easy. Paul was telling him, you know what you're called to do. You're called to be a good minister of Jesus Christ. And if you put the brethren in remembrance of these things, you are going to be that good minister. He was calling him to a forceful focus and an exclusive focus on the calling that God had given to him. Well, we could apply, I think, rightly, the same analogy to us. What are you called to do? Well, take me. I'm called to be a Christian. That is my central calling. I'm called to be a pastor. I'm called to be a husband. I'm called to be a father. I'm called to be a son and a brother. I'm called to be an attorney. What does that mean for the these things that God has called me to do? It means that in a particular specific way, in the callings that God has given me, I must give myself wholly to them. And it means that other things are entirely secondary. It means that other things that are separate from the specific callings that God has put on me must indeed be entirely secondary or indeed entirely excluded if I'm going to live out and progress in the calling that God has given to me. I need to learn to give myself to these things and turn from other things. Friends, I don't know would be specifically for you, but I wonder if it would be more helpful to ask, what are the other things right now that are consuming your attention? I talked with a a pastor friend once, and he was telling me that God really brought him to a point where he realized he was spending his investment and his energy on things that weren't bad. One of them was politics. He was just getting so worked up and so focused on the political scene around him. He was focused on some personal things that were going on. And finally, God brought him to the bottom, really, to say, you know what? You got to focus on what I've called you to do. And some of these other things are not bad things, but they are dissipating your energy. They're dissipating your focus. They are exhausting you and tiring you rather than what God has called you to do. What other things in your life would you know inwardly at your heart of heart you are unable to give yourself wholly to these things because there are other things? Take your personal quiet time. What is that which hinders you and me from giving yourself wholly to your quiet times in the morning, from immersing yourself in God's word in prayer? You must learn to exclude As Jesus said, when you go into your closet, shut the door. Shut the door. Is he saying? Exclude. Practice exclusion so that you will have fellowship with me. What about your relationships? As as I've already talked about husbands and wives, if you want to grow and progress in the health of your marriage, you must learn to exclude. And you must learn to give yourself to your spouse body, soul, and spirit. You must learn to exclude if you are going to progress. What we come to is what I think is one of the wisest phrases I've heard in this very practical way. You've probably heard what Jim Elliott was known to say, wherever you are, be all there. Wherever you are, be all there. He went on to say, live to the hilt 
every situation you believe to be God's will. Live to the hilt every situation you believe to be God's will. And we find that counsel reflected in Ecclesiastes 9, which says, Whatsoever thy hand findeth to do, do it with thy might. That's excluding other things to give yourself to some things. Now, what is that going to require for you? It's going to require discernment. It's going to require the discernment to recognize which rooms of your house are getting heated while the important ones are cold. It's going to require you to understand which things need to be excluded and which things can be embraced in a particular kind of intentional moderation. And it's not my job here. It's not my intent to tell you exactly how to make that in, in discernment. You have a Holy Spirit that can tell you far better than I can. But it is simply to say this, those things exist. Those rooms exist that are getting heated right now and they need to be entirely cold. The door needs to be shut. And there are some areas of our houses that need to be warmed up because a lot more heat and a lot more energy needs to get there. Listen to what the psalmist said in Psalm 119. He said, Incline my heart unto thy testimonies and not to covetousness. Incline my heart to thy testimonies and not to covetousness. And then he says, Turn away mine eyes from beholding vanity. Turn away my eyes from beholding what is empty, what is profitless, what is just dissipating, and not what is profiting. And indeed, we might say that again today. What areas in our life tend to feature vanity, a lack of profit, and that are distracting us from our callings, whatever they are in our lives? I see that practically speaking as a husband and a father. There are particular entertainments or restful things or other habits that I could give myself to that would distract me from the need to invest in my wife and in my children. And it could be, again, we could talk about all of these things so practically, but I hope that you will be encouraged to ask the Holy Spirit really to reveal what needs to be excluded in your life. There's one more thing that I want to say. I want to encourage you that any kind of exclusion must be done by faith. It must be done by faith. You say, what do you mean? I'll say this. As I have gotten older, I have realized, I think, in a way, the wisdom of many of the things that I um, heard and learned growing up about the danger of amusement the danger of entertainments, the danger of areas of our life that so easily just dissipate. We can see things about the way we relate to our phone or to a television or to the internet that so often are a waste of time and even more so, they affect your, they, 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 they limit your affections for God. But here's the problem. If you try to exclude things in your life simply as a matter of duty, or as a matter of command, or as a matter of just thou shalt or thou shalt not, 
the likelihood is that this will not be by faith. It won't be something that you are really acting on as a movement of the Holy Spirit and a true conviction that is birthing in you affection for God and for what he calls you to. It may very well be that it will only become a kind of legalistic or kind of burden that is placed upon you that that ultimately you or those around you will resist and push back against. What I mean to say is this. When you identify what your calling is and by faith you say, God, you want me to give myself wholly to this. Your affections will be tuned to say to God, God, there are other things that you are calling me to turn away from. There are other weights and sins that you are calling me to lay aside, not as a matter of a kind of strict obligation, but as a matter of a heart of faith that is a heart of faith that is working by love. And so let me encourage you tonight. If you want to progress in your spiritual life and in your calling in whatever area God has called you to, you're going to have to learn how to be exclusive. You're going to have to learn how to give yourself wholly to some things, the things that God has called you to. And you're going to have to take concrete steps, disciplined steps but ultimately steps of faith to take those areas, those rooms that are getting warm when they shouldn't be and shut the door. You're going to have to identify the areas of your life that you are giving yourself to in a way that is distracting you from what is most important. And you are going to have to say with the psalmist, incline my heart unto thy testimonies and quicken me in your way. Give thyself wholly to these things, that thy profiting, thy progress may appear unto all. May that be true for each of us. Let's pray. Father, we thank you. We thank you for your word. And we thank you for the example of those who have lived out lives of excluding those things that are so often vain. And Father, how often we can give our time to that which is frivolous to that which is empty, to that which dissipates our affection for you and our focus on the things you've called us to. Father, we need discernment for this, but we need to be exclusive. And I pray, Father, that you would just, by your spirit, really do a work in our lives. May we listen to you now. Let's pause for a moment. And allow the Holy Spirit to speak to us. But this one thing I do, I pray, Father, that you would help us with the eyes of faith to see the central calling that you have put in front of us to be more like Jesus Christ. And may we pursue that. May we pursue it single-mindedly. May we give ourselves wholly to the things that you have put in front of us that our profiting might appear unto all. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.